Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Hi, welcome to episode 32 of Endurance Horse Podcast. And today we're going to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart and hopefully to yours too. And that is the topic of rider health. So what was the first thing that you thought of when I said rider health? Well, let's be honest now. Was it sweating to the oldies? Was it trying to do a couch to 5K program? Was it counting your calories on an app on your phone? Hmm. It it probably would honestly be the first thing I thought of too. But if calories and counting them and walking and counting those miles and taking our vitamins were the only thing we were going to talk about, I would have called this episode Rider Fitness or, you know, the gymnasium of the rider or something like that. But rider health is a bigger topic, I think. We are 50% of the equation. If you think about it, a horse doesn't I mean, he could, but doesn't really go down the trail by himself. Well, hopefully that's not part of the plan that he's going down the trail by himself. We hope that we're with him the whole way. So rider fitness is part of rider health, but the spectrum of rider health I would like to share in this episode are different sets of audio from riders who are dealing with a chronic illness, who are dealing with overcoming an injury, whether it's a back injury or a brain injury. And then I wanted to expand that a little bit, the rider health, to the point where the horse is the therapist, whether it is dealing with someone with PTSD, whether it is hippotherapy, or whether it is like so many T-shirts and bumper stickers we see, and we know it is the truth that the horse truly is our therapist. So we're going to touch on those topics, and I hope you find this episode helpful. I wanted to do it at the beginning of the year. It seemed to fit in with what I knew people would perceive as rider health, which was eating an apple and running a mile, and that is part of it. But I also wanted to give a nod to our equine friends, because I think we all know the truth. Horses truly are our therapy. Without further ado, I bring to you episode 32 of Endurance Horse Podcast. So my backstory is that on August 26, 2016, two girlfriends and I were on a conditioning ride at a local park when the horse I was free leasing ran off with me downhill. I'm not 100% clear on what happened, but one thing led to another and I was lawn darted off the horse onto my head. I was wearing a helmet, but uh, that didn't prevent the uh, brain injury that I had. Uh, The summary of my injuries was a TBI, which was caused by trauma to the brainstem. Uh, There was bruising on my pons. Uh, A snapped wrist, damage to my third cranial nerve, a mini stroke, uh, which 
is still up for debate, I guess. Um, I just had stroke symptoms on my left side all the way down. It was completely uh, without function all the way on my left side. Um, and some broken teeth. Uh, when my friends got to me, I was posturing on the ground, which is usually uh, indicative of a really poor outcome. Uh, when the ambulance attendant later came to visit me in the hospital, he stated that he couldn't believe I was sitting there upright, talking and interacting. He, uh, he thought at most I would probably be a vegetable. When I was in the hospital, I was there for two weeks and they would have kept me there longer if insurance was more cooperative. Uh, I remember very little of that time. Uh, basically, when I was there, I was relearning the basics of walking independently again when I was released. It was, uh, I think, November when I, when I was able to drive again, and only short distance at that sh time. I wasn't able to go very far. I would forget where I was a lot. Um, I think it was January before I was able to navigate even a step um, without someone helping me. I had to move um, the farm I was at before the accident. I had to give up the lease and move to an apartment in town with an elevator that was close to the hospital for all the outpatient treatments. Uh, I think I was released in April? Maybe sooner. I can't remember. Ha. Huh. Huh. I can't remember. Um, that's pretty standard with me. When I got the approval of my occupational therapist, my physical therapist, my orthopedic surgeon, my neurologist, and the speech therapist, I was able to start riding again very conservatively. Uh, conveniently, once I was able to drive myself out to the barn, uh, I had gotten myself a new helmet pretty much the minute I was able to shop online, which is terrifying that I was shopping online so soon. Um, but I did lots of shopping online. Um, my friend had a really nice horse that she used for lessons, very steady guy. So we got me stood up on a bench and with the help of two sidewalkers managed to manage to get me up in the saddle and uh, one person leading the horse to two on the sides and walked me around a couple times in the arena before I slumped over and couldn't hold myself up anymore. Somehow my mom found out about it and she was just horrified. I heard a lot about that. I do remember that conversation a little bit, just she's furious. Uh, I discussed this a lot with my physical therapist and she, she began working with me on exercises to help me regain my core muscles. Uh, because of the combined effects of the TBI, the wrist break, the mini stroke, I had lost essentially all muscle tone on my left side, and even my core muscles could barely support me in the saddle for more than 10 minutes. It might have been less. Um, and once I was released from from PT, I I got a trainer at the gym to help me with some some custom exercises that I could do uh, to help me continue strengthening that left side just to continue. It's really hard as an equestrian to lose your left side muscles uh, because, you know, it's really hard to get on a horse when you have no leg muscles on that side, uh, no arm muscles, nothing. So I remember the first day I could mount from the ground, I think I took a picture uh, afterwards because I was just so proud of myself. 
And yeah, so once I was released officially from everything, I found Nolly, maybe before I was released. And I bought her because mostly because she was a Pasifino, which had long been my breed of choice. And I figured what better way to accommodate my new balance limitations than with a gated horse, especially one that I knew I'd be so comfortable with. In addition, I found out that one of her previous owners had been in a really serious accident. Sweet little Nolly, she'd been the horse that she trusted to come back into riding with. So I knew she was really safe. Um, uh, it took me about a month to get on Nolly because we had come to realize that I had a really serious case of PTSD from the wreck. Uh, both from the accident itself, just being around horses in general, um, I had a very physical-based fear reaction to a lot of situations with horses that inhibited my progress with her. Uh, and also, I had a crippling hospitalization phobia. My very first memory after the accident, and basically one of my only memories in that first week, was coming to while being intubated with restraints on me, or what I interpreted to be restraints, and not knowing why I was there. And that's an experience I don't wish on anyone and that it will uh, affect your ability to take the kind of risks that could put you in that situation. So I had a lot of work to do in that area while I uh, worked on getting getting things going with Nolly and that was basically what our first winter was all about. Working on me and working on me and her together and getting us teamed up and comfortable with each other. Uh, Pasos are very one-person horses they have, they tend to be a little bit, um, uh, they have a lot of stranger danger. So if they don't know you, they don't really want to know you. They're kind of like cats. So it took her a while to come around before we, we made friends. By the time spring rolled around, uh, with the help of a really good friend, Nolly and I managed to start trail riding. And eventually those trail rides turned into conditioning rides. Uh, we made it to a couple of novice rides and a couple of LDs before she was diagnosed with Lyme disease and forced into retirement, but I I really credit her with bringing me back into the sport safely and giving me some confidence back. I just think a real, really key factor of coming back from a life-altering accident is a great horse like that. Uh, this last season, it started rough. Um, just before we decided to retire Nolly, we had a couple of post-TBI issues. Um, a big problem with TBIs is that no two are alike. And symptoms can start coming out years later, and it's so frustrating. That first year, I thought I'd won the lottery since uh, I, unlike many people, I didn't have to deal with headaches. Then about a year and a half ago, I started getting nonstop headaches with weekly migraines, and it was brutal. And then the medication the neurologist put me on caused me to gain just an obscene amount of weight, and it didn't help me with headaches. So uh, then last winter, in addition to that, I started getting her into joint pain and was just constantly tired. I would ride in the indoor arena, and then for three days, I would be barely able to move. It was horrible. So I finally went to the doctor, which I, I hate doing. Um, might be a side effect from having to spend about a year in various doctor's offices. And uh, surprise, surprise, I found out that I have fibromyalgia, which apparently is a very common outcome of TBIs because it, it can happen uh, from nervous system injuries. It's a trauma, trauma-based injury, I suppose, or trauma, trauma damage. 
dramatic, whatever the wording is. So, and there's no medication for it. My summer was saved by a chance encounter with a new neurologist at the hospital who, just off the cuff, suggested a plant-based whole food diet, and that's been absolutely life-changing. Really quickly lost the medication weight, the, the joint pain stopped almost immediately, and the third day in, the headache stopped. I woke up and all of a sudden realized I didn't have a headache and I almost started crying because I'd just gotten so used to having them and just being miserable. So had I had a horse, I feel like I would have actually been able to compete, which was my biggest fear going into the season, not knowing that I was going to have to retire my horse and my prospect horse wasn't going to be ready. So now going into... The next season, I'm just going to have to focus on maintaining this new regimen and I guess waiting for the next TBI Easter egg and mostly just be grateful for every day that I can still ride, that I can walk, that I can look out a window and just process what I'm seeing. Um, Life has definitely changed, but it gives you more depth of character and such an appreciation and understanding of what you have and what can be lost in the blink of an eye. Uh, Now when I ride endurance, I want to focus on the partnership with my horse that we're working in unison and just always doing a little bit better than I did last time. Anytime I can get in the saddle and ride, it's it's kind of a miracle. Uh, Honestly, I I should be living on a ventilator, to be honest. Um, I'm very lucky. It's it's so hard not to compare myself with my friends, especially the ones that I started out with. I love those ladies, uh, but it's really hard to see them doing 50s, and here I am. Sometimes I don't even get to ride, Um, but we're all on different paths in life, and that's fine. I've said it so many times in the past that things will always be different now, and it's becoming okay. So you just have to be very zen and just accept that kind of thing and be grateful and keep working away at it. It'll be okay. The horses will get us through it. So that's my story. Thank you. Hey everyone, this is Kim Fossler from Illinois and I'm doing a podcast on injury. The injury though is not to the horse. The injury is to the human this time. And I just wanted to share my story with everybody. So we go back to late February, early March of 2011. And I had stepped outside to start the truck. I believe I was possibly taking my boys to basketball. Surprise, surprise. And I went to, yeah, so I went to start the truck, stepped outside. We had gotten um, a light layer of snow that day or that morning. And I slipped and fell. The fall was one where I wasn't able to catch myself. I landed straight on my butt. And I didn't feel that I had really hurt myself at the time. I was sore, of course, but honestly, it was nothing new. I have had some issues with my back in the past where I'd had an MRI to check everything out, a little bit of numbness, 
to be honest, I wasn't friendly to my body in high school. I played lots of sports. I rode horse. I trained and got bucked off a lot. So, you know, I was used to the back pain. Didn't bother me most of the time. It, yeah, I would, I would hurt a little bit, but I would just kind of brush it off and deal with it. So that's what I did this time. And honestly, too, I just didn't have time. Um, life kind of got in the way. I'm a business owner. I have two young boys that I would coach um, their basketball teams. And then in March of 2011, also my dad's cancer had advanced to the point uh, we knew that it, it wasn't going to be, the outcome wasn't going to be good. We knew kind of then that we were dealing with something really big. I would sit in the hospital a lot. Dad's doctor would come in. He'd be like, are you okay? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I my back just bothers because we've been sitting so much. So I was used to it and really, honestly, just didn't take time for myself. Yeah, I was in the hospital. Yeah, I could have made myself an appointment, but I didn't have the time. I was busy taking care of dad. Also, while dad was in the hospital, my mom had a heart attack on top of it. So my plate runneth over uh, in, the, in 2011. Uh, so going to May, my dad passed from his cancer. And my friends, Christy and Guy, had suggested, you know, you really need some time for yourself now. It, it's time for you to, to heal and invited me to use one of their horses to go to a ride in June. So I took advantage of it, did, did a little bit of riding before the ride, went to this ride in June and everything was fine. We, we did great. Then in July, they, they said, well, why don't you come ride another horse for us? And so I went down to, I believe it was in Washington, Illinois at the time. It was, the ride was called Endure for the Cure. I went to ride a 25 comp and after the ride, my back was killing me. It was, I was in a lot of pain. Uh, the pain went down the back of my leg. Then I thought it's time to get something looked at. So I made a doctor's appointment and my doctor had thought actually that I was having issues with my hip because that, that, that seemed to kind of be the the major part of where the pain was coming was the outside of my hip. Maybe thought I had some pretty good bursitis going on because I did have an injury to that hip in high school. So we did some injections in the hip and, you know, it takes a little bit for them to work. So we kind of waited and I don't believe I did any more rides then. So I... Waited a little bit, and quite honestly, the injection did did not work at all for me. Um, so called the doctor back, and we did some x-rays. And unfortunately, the x-rays didn't show enough, and so he or ordered an MRI. And I believe it would have been like September of 2011. Within about an hour of being home, my doctor called me personally on my phone and gave me the news that I had 
severely bulged two discs in my back, the S1, L5, and the L5, L4. Not really what it, what I wanted to hear. We set up an appointment with a pain management doctor, and I went and visited him, and we did some cortisone shots in the back. The first round did not work at all. Gave me absolutely no pain relief. So I had to wait a little bit, and we did a second round of cortisone shots. Those might have taken a little bit of the edge off, but it didn't take away the pinchy, burning sensation that you get with with these type of injuries, unfortunately. So this was all before the new year of 2012. And when I visited that doctor for the third time, he he wanted to, to jump right to surgery. And I had told him that was not an option. I felt that there was something else or something more that we could do other than surgery. He did not want me to ride anymore, said my riding career was over. And I didn't take that very well because I had gotten a new horse. I had just gotten CJ that summer. Um, I kind of looked at him and said, we can find something else to do besides a surgery or I'll find a doctor that will find something else to do besides surgery. I think then he realized I was dead serious. And he said there was one other option that he was willing to try, which is called radio frequency lesioning. I set up the appointment and December 31st, 2011, I went in with my mom and they did the radio frequency lesioning. And that is for some that may not know, they go in and they burn off the nerves. So you no longer feel pain. And I would say within about a week, a week and a half, I started to feel results. The burning sensation went away, the pinching, I could sleep again and I was able to start exercising. So from there, I put myself on a mission. I was going to make myself better. I was going to get better. I wanted to ride. I had a new horse. I had a plan. And so I decided to start exercising. Not much you can do in Illinois in, in the winter months. So I just walked, honestly. I live at the bottom of a rather large hill. And I asked my friends to come. And we started walking in the cold. I would walk two, three miles almost every day. I also rode stationary bike. And I went on a diet. I lost about 20 pounds and come May, I was ready for my first ride. I was feeling good. CJ looked good. And so we set out the second weekend of May for our first ride and everything went well. So this is getting a bit long. I am going to stop here. This is going to be my part one, and I will do a part two uh, with an update on how my season all went and other updates. Thanks. Hi, everyone. It's Chris again. And no, it's not the end of the podcast yet. 
There were a few points about rider health that I wanted to share from my life and my perspective. And part of it is fitness. I just wanted to put it out there into the universe that Jim and I, um, we started running back in 2017 and we competed in several races in 2018 on our own two legs. There were no horses involved. So we did a few 5Ks. I can't believe I placed in my age group in the first one. But, you know, it's kind of like placing in a different weight group at an endurance ride. Only they do age groups by every five years. So I actually won second um, in my age group. Well, wait a minute. I think I won third in my age group. I think Jim and Harlan, he ran with us. I think they both ran Um, a second place in their age group. So it was amazing. It was so much fun. And then in 2019, I focused mostly on my horse and getting her in shape and the running and the walking just kind of fell by the wayside. And in 2020, Jim and I both said, you know, we need to get back to that. One of the most memorable because of the amount of pain races was an 8K in August. That was like the most humid weather ever and I'm not kidding you, this this run was uphill and like the whole way. I mean, it was uphill, then downhill, then uphill. I was just amazed. I do not get starstruck. I, I literally could meet any famous person and I just don't um, get starstruck. But I was starstruck by these runners who we were out there running an 8K trail run and we definitely turtled it. Jim and I both turtled the 8K. But the there was a 16K and these people were just flying down the trail, happy, friendly, you know, encouraging as they passed us, you know, trudging up these hills. It was an amazing experience. So 2019, we didn't have that. We were all focused on the horse and other things. And so we decided 2020, we're back at it. Jim and I have both realized that if we put down some money and we enter a race, we tend to show up. So we set out to sign up for several trail runs, which right now seems kind of crazy because we haven't done a ton of running. But we got our calendar out and got a workout plan from a trainer that we truly admire. And we put those his plan to paper the workouts that we do twice a week, and then the long runs on the weekend. And it's a very gradual increase. Oh, and I just can't believe I'm saying this out in public so you can all hold me accountable. But like the pinnacle of all of this is a half marathon trail run on Sweetest Day this year. So it's kind of a gift that Jim and I are giving ourselves to each other all year is that time that we're spending together training. And then it's ending on sweetest day with a distance that right now I can tell you, I, you know, and maybe Courtney Kruger's laughing at me right now, but um, I cannot imagine, you know, how we're going to even fathom that we're going to do a half marathon trail run. Like, I'm not sure we're going to make it, but um, that is the plan on paper. And we kept we kept to it. Um, Jim had a um, a scare with Lyme's disease, so he's been a little fatigued. He's coming out of that now, and the exercise actually seems to help. 
So well, we did have a, a short pause on this, but we're right on track, right on schedule. You know, today was was two miles. Um, we did a mile walk. We did two miles of intervals, and then we did a mile cool down walk. And we drug our kids along with us, and so they got to run with us. So that was all very much fun. So as far as my little segment here about rider health, I wanted to make sure that I added that. So I'm counting calories and I am tracking the miles. And I think I do tend to be a little bit of a goal striving person. So it, it is it is really good for me just mentally to have a goal to work for and something to check off the calendar. Um, it gives me some focus and drive and channels my energy a certain way. So so I think it is a good thing to have those goals. So far, so good. I have dropped, <laughs> oh, I wasn't sure I was going to share this, but I've dropped 10 pounds in about um, 38 days. So I think I'm averaging like a 0.2 pound per per day loss. And I, unfortunately, you know, I'm in the heavyweight rider category. So I have a have a ways to go. And that is a good segue actually for the next part I wanted to talk about, about my rider health. And that is that I have an autoimmune disease called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And in the past when I exercised and I tried to do the, the couch to 5k and run all the way through, I would eventually without fail, I did this, I tried multiple times, I would get really ill and that was before I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. And I didn't understand if running is supposed to be so healthy, why am I getting sick every time I try to do it? And I'd be sick for like two months. I'd get some flu bug that, not flu bug, but like a cold that would just stay with me and, and be way down deep in my chest. And I couldn't shake it. And it got to the point where I was afraid to go out and in uh, starting kind of a workout program because I would just get super sick and it was not fun. And, and obviously when you're sick, it affects more than just your exercise time. It affects how well you do the rest of your life. And then you, you just don't get a lot done. But eventually I was, I found out I had a wheat allergy. And when I got that out of my life, my sleep and everything else improved so overall, my health went up, and I have been gluten-free for nine years now. But it was a little later when I figured out, mm, you know what, that I that goes hand-in-hand hand with this other diagnosis that I got, which was, was the Hashimoto's. And it was a learning curve to try to learn how this was affecting me and what I could do to help improve it. And what I found out was low-intensity exercise. So the running through for 30 minutes was stressing my body too much, and I stumbled upon um, through a different way. But eventually I found a run-walk-run method of training with intervals that got me actually, like I just said, I even placed in my age group and my first 5K that I trained that way with. All in all, it's been circuitous and it's um, kind of tied together. The running helped me figure out why, you know, I went on kind of a journey of why am I getting sick every time I work out? This is not how it's supposed to be. So Hashimoto's is managed fairly well with me right now. I take a medicine to help with the thyroid, but losing weight is really hard for me. Actually, even 
part of Hashimoto's is I have a very low body temperature no matter what. So I pretty much never see like 98.6 on a thermometer. It is always somewhere in the 97s. I usually have joint pain and fatigue and the run, walk, run helps with that. Horseback riding helps with that. Um, But it seems like I'm always battling something with it. I also have something called PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it has a lot of not nice... (laughs) I just... I used to have very long, thick, beautiful hair. I no longer have long, thick, beautiful hair. Um, It has been thinning constantly, and and I know it's it's a vanity point, but I think it also points back to, you know, I could never tell you how much Hashimoto's affects my body and how I feel or how PCOS affects my body and how I feel. But it's there, and we all deal with something, right? There's people dealing with injuries. There's people dealing with illnesses that are far worse than mine. You know, I I might have to work twice as hard to lose one pound than the average bear, but um, but I'm working on it. Mm, I wasn't sure I was going to say this or not, but you know, if you see a heavyweight rider, try not to assume that it's automatically something that they're doing wrong because it could be could be a health problem, like it is for me. All right, so the third thing I wanted to deal with, it goes along with me. How I got into running was by walking um, to beat stress. In 2017, I had some things in my life that were very stressful, and I thought, like, seriously, I'm going to have heart problems if I do not find some other way to consistently deal with this. So I started driving out to the lake and walking, and it worked. Like, it worked like a charm, you know, just walking the stress off. And then uh, Jim decided to join me, and we were doing this. And I said, you know, we, we did that Color Run 5K a few years back. I said, maybe we should do another 5K. And I had the hardest time convincing Jim to run. And um, we had this fun little thing where I just kind of teased him a little and said, well, could we run? Because we walk at a campground at a lake. And I said, could we run from one campsite to the next? And so that's kind of how we started. And then we decided, yes, we were going to do the turkey trot in Madison in 2017. And we got excited about it. And we had a goal to work towards. And so I looked for some running motivation. And this really does have to do with all of you, because there would not be a podcast had Chris not gotten stressed and started walking and then wanted to run. Because I searched for a podcast on running and I found one and I absolutely loved it and I binge listened to it. And then it had a sister podcast that was a, where people send in audio and give updates. And so it First, I wasn't too much into that podcast, and I started listening to it some more, and I got to know the people, and I really liked it. So I was riding my horse one day, and I thought, oh, I wanted to get in for this episode, so I started recording, and I thought, oh, you know, everybody records when they're doing something else, definitely not riding a horse, and so would they want to hear while I'm out here conditioning my horse? Because a lot of them, they have these amazing audio where they're running, and you hear them 
you know, their footsteps. And it's very motivational to listen to when you're out riding or running that you're listening to their audio of them running. And it's kind of like having a buddy with you. So as I was recording for them, I thought this would be amazing for horse people to be able to share and more specifically endurance horse people. And that is how Endurance Horse Podcast came to be. And I'm so glad that it did. We will catch you later. I will let the next person talk. Happy trails. Hi there. My name's Mandy Blankenship. And thanks so much to the Endurance Horse Podcast for asking me to share my story just a little bit. Um, So I got my first horse that was an off-the-track Arab when I was 13, but I went to college, got married, worked in the music business, and had two kids, became an artist, a painter, and um, then in 2010, I was diagnosed with a rare genetic disease called MEN1, multiple endocrine neoplasia. No one's ever heard about it, but and I don't like to talk about it too much um, because we all have our struggles and endurance riders are so tough. And um, although I was a serious athlete for the first 20 years of my life, I was a swimmer and they're tough too, but um, to handle a 900 pound animal and all the little nuances that involves um, and to get through a 50 mile or more um, endurance ride, it requires a special kind of toughness. It really does. So I don't talk too much about it, but MEN1 or multiple endocrine neoplasia, number one, is a rare genetic endocrine disease that affects really every aspect of your body in some way your bones, your brain your stamina, your adrenal glands, it just goes on and on. It's actually uh, technically a cancer um, because it's a malfunction of your cells. Um, My grandfather died when he was 59 of it. Um, But interestingly, riding not only mentally, of course, helps me, but physically, um, it's really like a physical therapy. I'm sure a lot of people that ride know this, but people that don't ride can barely believe, you know, that it would help your bones or your joints, but it really does. Um, So interestingly enough to me, however, my MEN1 actually is how I got into endurance. Um, In 2015, I was in the hospital 11 times and was in bed a lot. So, um, I had a horse and I, a Tennessee Walker that I had gotten a couple years prior also for some mental therapy because I had gone 20 years without a horse and because of my disease, I'd had to move home, move my family home. And, um, so I had this Tennessee Walker in my backyard and in 2015 I was, in the hospital so much that through Facebook, I actually found, I I thought to myself, how can I stay on my horse the longest? Like, what can I do to be on my horse the longest? And I used to dream about that. And so I found uh, Daniel 
Boone Distance Riders and Endurance Riding, AERC, Sarah, all those um, groups through Facebook. And as endurance riders are, as awesome as they are, um, they were super welcoming and welcomed me in. And I was mentored by just some of the best endurance riders around and just I fell in love. So we all know it's addicting and I became addicted to it. So I got started, got hooked on it. And it was kind of interesting to me because my Tennessee Walker had a lot of the same issues as me. Um, I'd gotten him as a rescue and he was tough as nails, but he had the beginning of ring bone, kind of mirrored my bone pain, as well as some other blood sugar type issues like I have. And then he got cancer, which like I have. So um, I did my first 50 on him. He was incredible. But it was um, just a lot for him as his issues um, progressed. And so I pretty much retired him, had surgery for him and retired him. But uh, I'm a huge believer about horses being healers. I'm an equine massage therapist now. And I have a lot of clients in all types of disciplines that um, talk about their horse issues. And I truly believe that Horses not only heal, but they kind of hold up the mirror for us to deal with issues that are unresolved within ourselves. Each of my horses make me face things that I don't always want to, but need to. And um, whether it's my own patience or my fears, especially fear. I mean, it, fear of everything, you know, that's the main thing I think stops us all. Fear of failure, fear of even accomplishment, um, all the way to logistical things like fear of riding, of um, riding solo or trailering solo with a huge rig and your best buddy being pulled behind you. And um, not to mention, you know, how horses soothe you. Their their intense energy is certainly from God, in my opinion. They really are a channel from a higher power if you just quiet your mind, which horses help you do that. And I've always said that riding is the reason that, um, or one of the reasons that so many people love it is because it really teaches you and exercises the ability to be in the now because you have to of course for safety but um, we all know that subconsciously that's the way that we should live being in the now and so something kind of locks in with my brain when I'm riding that kind of all is right in the world and I'm not really thinking about anything else other than my horse and that moment of us being together so it's a really healing magical thing and last uh, year I tore my groin muscle at my first attempt at a multi-day I had a great first day at a 50 riding with my mentor and um, we got third and fourth at a really tough ride early in the year and the next day started a 50 again and made it to the last 20 miles and couldn't even <laughs> my poor horse I mean he put up with me just 
bouncing all over his back. I was just in excruciating pain and it took a really long time to heal. So this summer, um, I have really had to deal with that. And it's, um, it was tough because I, what is the, one of the worst injuries I've ever had. And I was really fit and really strong and had worked really hard to get that way because three weeks later after that, I was supposed to do my first hundred at the Biltmore with um, my one of my mentor's horses that was also gonna do his first hundred. So it was heartbreaking um, to me. But you know, that's kinda how it goes. And unfortunately, like all summer last year, I was, or most of the summer, I was in recovery mode and I gained 25 pounds, which is just, I can barely say it because it was such a loss to have to kind of swing the other way after being so fit. So it was rough, but you know, as horses do, um, they inspire you. And I have a new young Arab that I'm getting legged up and rode two LDs at the end of the very tail end of the season last year. And I just ran my first 5K yesterday to try to start to be a better teammate. And I love that about riding. I love how it just is a constant reminder, no matter how old you are, to try to be your best self and consider your partner. And um, it's such a team sport with you and your horse I just I really love that and it really I, I mean I love to top 10 it's fun to do all those type of accomplishments but really it truly is to finishes to win so I love that mantra so I'm back on the horse so to speak and my next um, big goal is that sure I would like to do a hundred again in the next few years um, when when the opportunity presents itself, but I would also like to just enjoy every mile. So I could go on and on about horses as horse people do, um, but I'll stop here and I'll just say that let your horses heal you and take care of what you can, and I'll see you down the trail. So thank you so much, Endurance Horse Podcast. When Christine asked me to share my story about my health issues and how it affects my endurance riding, I was touched. And then I thought about how each and every one of us has a story to tell or an obstacle to overcome. So hopefully I won't bore you too much while I tell you my story about my medical journey and my eventual introduction into distance riding and endurance. However, I would like to give a warning to the squeamish. I will be frankly and very openly discussing some medical stuff. If that grosses you out, you may want to tread lightly. When I was 23 years old, I was diagnosed with polycystic kidney disease, aka PKD. Up until that point, I had faced a lifetime of on-again, off-again urinary tract infections and ended up developing a kidney stone. After about a week of having blood in my urine, I went to the ER even though I didn't have insurance. After a bunch of testing, I was told that I had PKD. I had no idea what was in store for me or even anything about the disease. At the ER, I found out that it was a genetic disease with the 50-50 probability of getting it from a parent. 
I'm adopted and I had no idea what my familial medical background was, so this was a complete shock to me. It was a pretty scary time and I had to have surgery to break up the stone so it could eventually pass. I was young and living away from my family and uninsured at the time. Thankfully though, Oregon had a system that helped people when they were going through medical emergencies get the care they needed on a sliding scale. After my surgery, during that place and time, I fell into the category of people who are deemed clinically uninsurable, which means I wasn't able to get health insurance on the private market. I had moved to Portland to pursue my dream of being a tattooist, but working for a small business without group health insurance policies, I was out of luck. Not only was I in a place of realizing that I could no longer follow my dream and I had to leave the shop I was working at, I had to hopefully find work in a company large enough and cross my fingers that their group coverage would help me. In Oregon, I was thousands of miles away from my family and realizing that I had to start over. I had been in a long-distance relationship at this point with my now-husband, AJ, and it was getting pretty gosh darn serious. So I made the decision to move back home to Wisconsin and give up my dream of being a tattooist. The major enormous bright side to all of this was that I would no longer have a long-distance relationship. We can now spend every day together, and in fact, we just celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary. Back in Wisconsin, starting all over again in a life that had made an abrupt turn, I was having issues with endometriosis and having a hard time finding a job that was understanding about me missing work on a monthly basis due to my kidneys and the beginnings of developing chronic pain and dealing with my painful periods. PKD is a genetic degenerative disease that causes the ciliary cells in the body to malfunction. In the kidneys, it causes them to become covered in large fluid-filled cysts inside and out until they are no longer functioning. The average person with PKD in the transplant stage will have kidneys roughly the size of footballs. In addition to the kidneys, the liver can also develop cysts. While this doesn't usually cause liver issues, it's enough to just have more cysts taken up room in there. In the reproductive system, many women develop severe endometriosis, as I did. My husband and I tried for years to have children. I had multiple laparoscopic surgeries and spent almost two years on hormone therapy. Finally, when I was 30, I couldn't take it anymore. I was in so much constant pain and had such horrible periods that the only thing I had left was to have a hysterectomy. When they did my surgery, even though they wanted to keep what they could, the doctor had to remove both of my ovaries and my uterus. They also had to move around all of my lower organs and scrape them and detach them from each other. My uterus was attached to my bladder. I had ovaries all twisted up and stuck to my peritoneum, and there were intestines all glommed together. So basically, everything was in a gummy, gooey mess. After my surgery, my doctor said that there was no way I would have ever been able to get pregnant. And if I did, they doubted I would have been able to carry to term. Well, both reassuring that I made the right choice, it was demoralizing, considering what I put myself and my husband through. Not to mention realizing that I couldn't do the one thing that, as a woman, I was supposed to be able to innately do. After recovering from my hysterectomy, I felt like I got my life back. I was a new gen. I could do things I'd been wanting to do for years and couldn't. I was able to be active again, and that feeling was incredible. After some time passed, my husband and I decided that if we weren't going to have kids, we would invest in our hobbies and interests. 
we also made one of my dreams come true. I was 33 when we made equine ownership happen. I'd ridden a lot when I was a kid at my aunt and uncle's house when we would visit them in the summer, and I would look forward to Girl Scout camp every year when I could spend a week straight riding. When I was young, we couldn't afford a horse, and boarding wasn't as prevalent as it is now. This was going to be my first horse, all mine. After some months of researching and looking around, I found Sidney Rain. He is a retired standard bred that never actually quite made it to the track. He was a track dud. Sent to the rescue, I found him at American Standard Bread Adoption Program in DeSoto, Wisconsin. He had been with a family and then returned to the program when he was around 10 years old. Moved to a foster home while he was awaiting adoption, he sat in pasture for about two years when we met. It was love at first sight for me. I mean, how could I resist that fuzzy face and that big old moosey head? We brought him back to the rescue farm so Sid and I could get to know each other and bond. There were days that were magical, and there were days that I would head home crying because I was convinced he hated me. It took about six months for me to get the feeling that he trusted me. But I could do this. I could finally ride. I couldn't before because it was so painful, but this was an incredible feeling. I got my life back. Gone was the ups and downs of my cycles. I could enjoy the free time I had and spend it bonding with Sid and riding. That was it. He was my boy and we were both green as heck. We then moved Sid to a stable closer to home that had lots of trails for us to run on. We got closer and worked on ground manners. I took some lessons, spent hours in the saddle, failed miserably at gaming. For real, it was like watching the pokey little pony. Although we did kick butt at the trotting game when it was played. Back at the stable, I was taking advantage of the experimental forest trails attached to the owner's property. And this is where I learned from another boarder about a sport called endurance. Sid and I went to our first ride in 2014. I spoke about it in the Iron Oak episode of the podcast. For those who didn't listen to that episode, long story short, it was awesome. I met amazing people and I was completely hooked. It was the last ride of the season and I couldn't wait for the 2015 season to start so I could do more rides and travel more with my boy. As my PKD progressed, my digestive system also became affected. I started to have issues with ischemic colitis and infectious colitis, ulcerations and erosions, and bouts of diverticulitis. I was hospitalized twice in 2016 during my rookie endurance season. I now have issues with managing my electrolytes and hydration because of my kidneys. I'm currently at almost stage 3 renal failure, so it's hard for me to compete in the heat, high humidity, and in the direct sun. In the summer of 2016, when I was in the middle of doing my 50-mile events, I would find myself getting dehydrated and throwing up, usually about on my last loop. Then I would end up in my trailer, stomach cramped, dehydrated, and sometimes in the ER the next day with GI bleeds. I really did not take this lightly and just ignore the issue. I tried all different kinds of electrolytes, meals, protein drinks, but it was always a struggle to come back from these rides. I also early during that time moved to a new stable where they used to have guided trail rides back in the day. It's also where I went when I was a Girl Scout to ride. I'd known the family since I was in middle school and the trails were private so I could ride year round when weather and conditions permitted. I ended up taking the 2017 season off. I was exhausted. I had pushed myself too hard and my doctors were threatening to do a bowel resection if I ended up in the hospital again. And sadly, Sid ended up somehow getting a small skull fracture in the spring. I'm not sure how he did it. Horses are just really great at getting the most random injuries. 
I just came to the stable one day, and there he was, with a lump on his big old moosey head. I figured this was all a kind of a sign that we needed to take it a little easier. I spent more time bonding with Sid, rode the trails at the stable, and tried to build up our strength. When we came back for the 2018 season, I went from 50s back to 25s. It sucked having to step down, but I needed to. I needed to make the decision to do what was best for my body. I want to still do 50s and up. I have the drive to do them. I've got the ambition. I just physically just can't right now. And I have to accept that. I know that people have their hangups on the 25-mile rides, that they should just be conditioning rides or intro rides. They think people who predominantly ride LDs are speed racers that push their horses too hard. That can be true of some, but not most. I'm at this point now just riding for miles only. I only have one horse who's coming 20 this year, and I have to have him as sound as possible for me to ride, which means I pay a lot of attention to how he's doing and how I'm doing. I know it's semantics. I know that the sport of endurance is based on rides of 50 miles and up. I know distance riding and LDs or comp rides are the rides with mileage up to 35 miles. But I have to endure to compete my rides, no matter how long they are. I know there are other people out there who are going through stuff like this. I have read and listened to stories of people's struggles and their triumphs. I have people, including some of my family, asking me why I still do this, why I fight so hard to continue, why I'm okay with stepping down mileage, why, when I end up leaving at the crack of dawn from a ride to drive home just to go to the ER, that I still do this. It's really not some weird masochistic need. I don't like feeling like crap or making myself feel sick. I have had to sacrifice so much of myself and my life to my body and it's absolute failure to be strong and healthy enough. There is so much that I want to do that I can't anymore and there are days when I am just too tired to do anything, even to get out of bed. But I love to ride and I love to compete. I have to somehow prove to myself that I can that I can overcome something, that I can master my body and will myself to push past that wall. I keep making adjustments to my routine to try to make it easier on myself and hopefully find out what's going to work the best. I had to promise my husband that I will now only go to rides that I can get an electric site. And then until I get a generator for my AC, I can't do primitive rides. I've discovered that I can't eat while I'm on my ride or I'll get all sloshy and throw up. I'll have a Boost protein shake in the morning and one at the hold. I have two water bottles in my saddlebag, one with just water. The other has water and electrolytes in it. I have to pace myself with my liquids, though, since my kidneys are kind of slow on filtration. During my hold, if it's hot out and after I take care of Sid, I'll pop into the trailer to use the AC to try to cool down a little. After my ride, once again, after Sid's all taken care of, I'll take a shower to cool down, and I'll also keep drinking my electrolytes. I try to eat a little something, then I'll lay down for a while and rest. Typically, I can't sleep, though. I'm just too excited from the ride. So I'll read, try to cool down, and snuggle my little travel buddy, Ruby, who is my ferocious little chewini and protector. We all have our burdens. We are all working hard to overcome something in this life. We ride 
because we have this absolute need to get out there and be with our horses in nature. We have our amazing crazy ride family who supports us. And whether or not you're riding for placing or for miles, whether it's 12 miles or 100 miles, truly two finishes to win. And every ride I get to and every one I complete is a big win for me. And one more day that I can tell myself, you did it. Hi, Jenny Chandler here from New Zealand. Lace and I are now only about a week and a half from our 160k ride that we've got coming up. And as I mentioned in the last podcast, I've discovered with Lace that in the last couple of loops of a big ride like that, it's really important to pick yourself up and you have energy so that that helps your horse. You're not just both slopping along thinking, oh God, we're tired. You actually, if the rider can pick themselves up and ride with energy, then that really helps the horse. And so that is rider fitness, that is rider health. I find generally if you've been preparing your own horse and you've been doing the shorter rides leading up to the big 160, 100-mile rides, then your rider fitness is probably pretty good because you've done the same as the horse, particularly if you've been getting off and running along beside them a bit perhaps or even just walking down the hills and doing a bit of extra yourself, your rider fitness is probably pretty good. But of course, this last season, I was lucky enough to go across to Australia and ride in the Quilty. And that was in July, which is right bang smack in the middle of our off season. So I hadn't done any riding for quite a while, really. I mean, I'd got lace in and I'd been working her up and I'd done as much as a couple of 10k rides And then she got a bit sore, so I couldn't even do that. And what I found was useful is we've got this mountain, extinct volcano. It's only 10 minutes from home. And I went and walked slash jogged. Well, no, I walked up, jogged down the mountain, which is really nice. It's all in bush. It's very pleasant. And it's hard work. And so I found that really did help me in my ride in the quilty with amethyst because I was able to get off and jog along beside her right up until the last loop. I tried it on the last loop. My legs were a bit stuffed by then, so I couldn't really do it justice. But up until then, I did more running in that ride than I've ever done in any ride. Downhills, just walking and jogging downhill, and then every downhill I'd just run along beside her for a little while until we came to another up or until I got too tired. And I found that that really helped her. It really picked her up. And mentally, she was much stronger when I got back on her. So rider fitness is very important. And it does seem to help running or doing any sort of exercise other than riding also can work if you're not able to ride as much as you'd like. Another thing, rider health issue I had about three years ago, I got optic neuritis, which is kind of a brain thing. And The only thing that I noticed initially was that I started losing vision in my right eye. There were no other symptoms, which confused the doctors. By the time they decided or worked out what it was, um, I was starting to have headaches and weird numbness and funny feelings on my arms and things. And even though I spent some time in hospital, that was in fact how I came to have my quilty ride because 
Brooke Sample came over and rode my horse in a 160k ride because I'd been unwell. And one thing I know is that horses made a big difference to my recovery, even though, you know, because it's a head thing and you're feeling a bit weird and my balance would be off, I'd still, even if it was only George, my old 23-year-old arthritic standard bred, I would still get on and ride him several times a week. And I found that that was not only good for my mental health and that here I was still on a horse, but it did make me feel better. Even if I was feeling off balance and not great on the ground, if I got on the horse, I never felt off balance. It's kind of like they lend their balance to you or because you're so used to moving with the rhythm of the horse, you don't lose your balance. You've got that support underneath you. And yeah, I can understand how they're so good in therapy in so many ways because that's what I was using my horses for at that point. After a little while, I progressed to riding Tigger, but that took a little while. He's, he can put in a pretty good spin, so I wasn't really willing to risk toppling off him when he did one of his spins. But, yeah, I was able to ride George and then wander around on lace, and, yeah, they're great. So horses and health, rider fitness... Yeah, very important. I think I've run out of things to say say now, so catch you later. Bye. This is Courtney Kruger. I want to tell a couple of stories about being at the Gallop on the Greenway in Acala, Florida, an endurance ride and also a ride and tie that was the very last week of 2019, uh, right after Christmas time. And regarding this, uh, the January issue of Endurance uh, Horse Podcast being about rider health, I want to address a part of rider health that we may not pay much attention to, but we ought to. And that is that if we pay attention to details, we will actually probably be a lot healthier in lots of different ways. And so we were trailering down to Florida, Lee, my wife, and I were, and we were going to meet Carrie Barris, my ride and die partner down there in Ocala. And we were headed down on Friday after Christmas. And one of the things that we knew about going into Florida is you must have a health certificate for the horses that you're carrying down there. And we had two horses, Kevlar and Comet, with us. And we had had our vet fill out a health certificate, and we had the health certificate. And to be honest, I was really looking forward to going into the agricultural inspection station because I knew that we had done everything just right, and they were going to be so impressed with us. Uh, these people from Tennessee who knew how, how what they needed to do to get into Florida. And so we get into Florida, we see the agricultural inspection station, we pull over, we go into the office, and there I have the health certificates, we've got the Coggins, I hand the man the health certificate, he looks at it, he looks at it again, he studies it a little bit, he furrows his brow, and then he says, your vet left off the most important piece of data that I need for this health certificate, he did not date it. And sure enough, that date box was absolutely empty. And the man said that the health certificate has to be within 30 days. And I don't know if this health certificate is 30 days old or is a year old. And I can't let you in Florida like this. Well, he gave me his email and he said, you can call your vet. And if they can email me a certificate that has the date on it, then I'll accept that. But I can't accept this. So we hurriedly called the vet. It was about four in the afternoon, but luckily they were still open and they were just wonderful. And they said, we're getting you out of that, that inspection station. Don't you worry. And sure enough, they were able to email it down. But in the process of doing that, we were uh, I sent Carrie a text to say, we've got a problem. We're stuck in the agricultural inspection station and we don't have the right date. 
uh, that kind of thing and on, on the health certificate. And uh, we think we're going to get out, but we sure don't know. So kind of stay tuned. And I know Carrie's uh, heart probably went up in her throat. She'd been driving all day long to Florida just like we have. But she sent back the most wonderful text. She said, uh, she didn't, she didn't give me the reference, but I knew it. She was referencing Star Wars and when the, uh, uh, the, the Jedi says to the stormtroopers, these are not the droids you are looking for. And the stormtrooper says, these are not the droids you're looking for and goes on. And so Carrie sends me a text and says, tell him, these are not the horses you are looking for. Well, later I looked up that clip, and in the clip he actually says, you don't need to see these droids' identification. These are not the droids you're looking for. And so we teased the rest of the weekend and said, you do not need to see these horses' certificates. These are not the horses that you are looking for. However, I did not try that on the man in their agriculture inspection station. I just waited patiently for our vet to email the proper uh, documentation, and the vet did, and we were able to get through. However, it does mean that we have now missed the ride briefing that evening, that Friday evening at camp because we were in the inspection station longer than we planned to be. Didn't seem to have much effect on us the next morning. We took Kevlar, who is Lee's brother Mark's brand new horse. He just bought the horse a couple of months ago to be used in ride and tie, and they were having a 10-mile kind of fun run on, on Saturday morning. And Zakari and I decided that'd be a perfect way for Kevlar to kind of get broken in a little bit. We were the only ride and tie team in that uh, race that the, everybody else was were endurance riders in the race and so we just took it nice and easy and Kevlar just handled it like a charm he was wonderful he uh, just stayed still at the trees and he was real forward when we were moving and he is just going to be a great great riding tie horse and I suspect that you will hear more stories about Kevlar in the future so that 10 mile loop uh, which was I believe the white loop we did just fine and finished that and it was just great and then we were getting then we needed to get ready for the big race of the day for us and that was a night ride that we were going to take Comet on. I think I mentioned before on the Endurance Horse podcast how much I love night rides. Uh, they hang either glow sticks or in this case LED lights in the trees and you just basically have to follow from light to light to light to, to follow the course and of course horses can see better than we can at the, in the dark and so it's really a test of how much do you trust your horse uh, to get you through the, the course. Now again we had not been to the ride briefing and so when the race started the the limited distance endurance racers who were doing the 25 miles that evening and we were doing 25 miles as well they left about 4:30 and then we gave them a 5 minute head start and then we left about 4:35 now because they were going to stay in the saddle they needed didn't need to worry too much about their horses having lights on them but we had to have Comet lit up because we were going to be tying him to trees and we and the whoever was the runners had to find him in the woods. And we had so much fun. I had found some Christmas tree lights that were battery operated and we strung those across the back of his saddle. And I have this fairly bright blinking red bike light that we hung on the breast collar on the front. And we were pretty sure we wouldn't have any trouble finding him in the woods. And also it was kind of festive a couple of days after Christmas to have the... Um, uh, the, the Christmas tree lights on him. And so we take off five minutes after the LDs go and everything is going just wonderfully. And uh, we uh, see up ahead of us, the trail seems to turn off to the right. We know we're following green ribbons and green lights. And so we turn to the right and we get maybe a mile down that trail, which is actually kind of looping around the back of the Florida Horse Park, which is where this uh, endurance ride and, and ride and tie was taking place. 
when I see a pickup truck coming towards me. I was on foot at this moment, and it was Doug Shearer, who is the ride manager and a vet down there in Ocala, and he had been sent to track us down because everybody in camp saw us make a wrong turn right at the beginning. We were supposed to go out of the camp and turn to the left and follow the green ribbons all the way around, and we came back into the camp at the end of a seven-mile uh, little lollipop. We were supposed to do that last three miles to make it a 10-mile loop, and we were starting uh, the race on the first three miles. And Doug said, well, you're already lower mile in, so go ahead and finish this three-mile loop and then do the seven-mile portion of green, and you're going to have to do the 10-mile loop first, and then the 15-mile loop you'll have to do second instead of doing 15 miles first and 10 second the way it was supposed to be. But that was fine because we were the only riding tie team in the, in the race, and so as long as we did the mileage, that was going to be just fine. And so it seemed like uh, that nothing was, was harmed by that. But it was interesting that we had not been to the ride briefing, and so we didn't know, uh, and we just did what we thought was right, and it turned out that wasn't right. So we finished that three miles uh, of green and then went into the lollipop. However... I'm calling it a lollipop, and you may know a lollipop loop is a loop that has a stem that kind of leads out from camp, and then you do a big circle or a big loop, and then you come back down the stem to, to come back into the camp. I did not know it was a lollipop when I went on it. I just knew I was following green. That's all I know, and that's going to become very significant. So we go out the lollipop. We uh, uh kind of going up the stick of the lollipop, although we don't know it's a lollipop. And we go under an underpass where the trail goes up underneath a road. And then the, the trail turned to the right. And that was the candy or the sucker part of the lollipop. And so then we did that whole part of the lollipop. And that was a six-mile um, sucker, if you will, or piece of candy that, that we were traveling along. And when we were probably four miles into it, I was on foot. And I encountered a couple who were on horseback who were not competing. They were just out riding. It was sunset just beautiful. Those Florida trails are just wonderful and beautiful. Spanish moss hanging down and all. And I was enjoying the sunset and whatnot. And I encountered this couple. They were coming from a side trail onto the trail I was on. And when they saw me, they looked a little anxious. And so I spoke to them and they kind of asked me what I was doing. And I explained that I was doing ride and tie. And they said, oh, is Doug Shearer putting one of those on? I said, yeah, he sure is. And they said, well, we didn't realize he was doing that uh, this weekend. And I said, well, we're the only team in, in this race, but, but we're having fun. And so they went on and rode up ahead of me. And a little while later, Kerry caught me and then passed me and kept going uh, on Comet. And the next time I saw Kerry, she said, well, when I encountered those people that you encountered on horseback, they told me that, that when they first saw you, they thought you were a homeless person and you alarmed them a little bit. And I thought, now that's really funny because here I am in riding tights wearing a neon yellow uh, running shirt with, with reflective tape on it. I've got a helmet on my head and a headlamp on my helmet. That's got to be the strangest looking or the most strangely dressed homeless person that they had ever seen. Another example of attention to details might have given them a little bit of a different of a clue. But back to my failure to follow details. So now I am uh, getting close to back to get getting close to that underpass again. I'm on Comet at this point, and I'm really having fun trusting this horse or trying to trust this horse. So I'm keeping the headlamp off as much as I can. Every now and again, I reach up and turn it on just to make sure if the trail, if I really, really can't see or I'm not really sure what's going on or I'm not sure that he knows what's going on. He's pretty excited, and he's moving along really a little faster than I'd like him to, but I'm trying to trust him, and we kind of come out into this little open area. I see the underpass over there, but I look up ahead, which is the direction that Comet 
is still kind of charging, and I see green lights and green ribbons on the right. Now, in endurance and in ride and tie, typically, if the ribbon is on the right, you're still on course. You're going the right direction. So I convinced myself I was going the right direction. I didn't. I knew I was close to camp. I knew that we were supposed to get to camp around 10 uh, miles in, but I wasn't uh, there yet, and, and I just thought, we're almost there, and they must be taking us back to camp a slightly different way. Well, I tied Comet pretty quickly after I, I passed through and, and, and went uh, didn't go under the underpass, but kept going, and then I started running. And after about a half a mile or so, I thought to myself, now, Carrie, you need to start riding that horse better. You need to trust him better. I was riding him pretty quick. You can ride him pretty quick. You should have caught me by now. About a mile in, I realized Carrie wasn't going to come to catch me. And I thought, oh, she must have taken the wrong turn, and she's gone back to camp. Well, when she gets back to camp going by the underpass, she'll find out that if she was supposed to go the other way, they'll send her back out, and she'll catch me after a while. After about two miles out, I decided, I don't think Carrie's going to catch me, and maybe even I went the wrong way. But I started to blame Doug Shearer, actually, not for sending me the wrong way, but for giving me bad mileage, because I thought, now I'm almost 12 miles in, to what you said was going to be a 10-mile loop. Well, after another mile on foot, I realized I was out of people to blame. It wasn't Carrie's fault for riding the horse too slowly. It wasn't Dr. Shearer's fault for uh, not uh, for making the course longer than it was supposed to be. It was my fault. I had missed a turn somewhere. I still didn't realize that that had been a lollipop and that I should have gone down where the underpass was. I just knew that somehow I was on course because the ribbons and lights were still on the right, but I was clearly off course because I was way over the mileage I should be. Well, in a mile or so, an endurance rider caught me, and I asked her, uh, thinking maybe it was somebody they'd sent to catch me. I said, did you come to, to, are you looking for me? And she said, no, but everybody in camp knows there's a riding tire out lost, and I assume that's you. And I said, well, yeah, except I don't really think I'm lost. I'm, a, I'm on the green loop, and I, I just missed a turn. Is that right? And she said, you sure did. And you're probably two miles or more away from that turn, getting back to that turn again what are you going to do? And I kind of laughed. I said, well, I don't have any choice. I'm just going to keep walking and running it. And I did. And I had a wonderful, wonderful walk, actually. And, and it was more walk than run at that point. But it was a, a relatively cool evening for Florida. It was just beautiful out there in the dark, listening to the wonderful night sounds and just being by myself and just having a great time. And so even though I missed that attention to detail and I, I had, did an extra six miles, I really enjoyed it. When I got back to the underpass, Carrie was there waiting on me, and she said, now we can go back to camp, and we can go back out and do a 15-mile loop, and we can get credit for this race. But I said, you know what, Carrie? I think I've had about all the fun that I can have for, for one night. I think we better call it a day. And so we uh, teasingly said we runner-optioned out and chose not to, to complete that race. And then the next morning, though, we did get up and did another 25-mile race on Comet, and we did that one just fine. We were able to follow all of the, the ribbons and the course in the daylight and, and had a great time. And we got some wonderful memories out of, of that weekend, and so it was all well worth it. But if riders want to have the best health possible, they probably ought to pay attention to details. Hi. This is Lindy from Wesley Chapel, Florida, with a different kind of recording. Chris asked me to send in a podcast about horses and healing. So here you go. I've always had and needed horses in my life. I can't remember a time when this was not the case. 
they have a special way to make even my worst times more bearable and my happy times even happier. As endurance riders, we spend a lot of time in the presence of our horses. Since I'm a turtle, I think I spend more time in the saddle than the average bear, but that's okay. I get my money's worth. Anyway, several years ago, I became, became a certified equine gestalt coach. You might wonder what that is. I didn't know what it was before I started investigating. Gestalt is a method of psychotherapy. Loosely translated, it means wholeness. It requires us to be in the present moment. Gestaltists know that many people are whole, but the wisdom that they need is outside their awareness. By connecting people to their heart and soul, they find their true selves and they gain important insight. How do the horses fit in? Well, they are naturally gifted. They're rock stars. They help people connect with themselves. They have energy that heals. They sense where people are emotionally. They interpret and respond to where we are in the present moment. This is because horses live in the present moment. That's how they survive. And it makes them perfect life coaches and healers. They naturally connect to our hearts and that opens the door for them to teach us important life lessons. You might wonder, how does this happen? In a word, it happens naturally. But in order to connect, horses need us to be in complete alignment. This is because that's how they live and it's what they understand. If you want to deeply connect with your horse, you need to ground yourself. If you're not familiar with that, if you breathe deeply, quiet your mind and become very still. This is a lot easier said than done. Our lives are jam-packed with responsibilities. And for many of us, multitasking is a way of life. At least it is for me. This connection requires singular focus, lots of breathing, getting your mind to settle down and just be. It takes some practice. A really cool way to see this difference in mindset and how it affects your horse is a simple exercise. For fun, go into your horse's pasture or round pen and start doing math in your head. Addition, timetable, anything will do. Like one and one is two or times, whatever you feel like. But be totally in your head. You could be thinking about a grocery list, you could be planning something, but it's gotta be totally mental, not anything that's in your heart. Do that for a few moments and observe your horse's level of interest in you. This is after they've thoroughly checked you out to make sure you don't have any carrots in your pocket or a halter in your hand. Then get real quiet, ground yourself. I do this by feeling my energy re reaching deep down into the ground. I close my eyes and think about something very meaningful. Breathe deeply. These thoughts could be very sad, traumatic, could be a happy event, but it has to be something that is really meaningful to you. If you feel like it, walk slowly in a circle, staying grounded and focusing on your feelings. Do not pay attention to your horse at this point, just be focused and centered. It should be really interesting to see what your horse, is, your horse does at this point. Because when people's thoughts and feelings match, horses are very attracted to them. They follow the person as if it were a magnet. Horses are the best BS detectors on the planet. If you're still in your head, they know this and they stay uninterested. If you're in your heart, they're right there. In equine gestalt coaching, 
The horse is an active and equal partner in the coaching and healing process. The horses do the heavy lifting. The coaches are just the facilitators. When I would do this, I would ask clients questions and based on what the clients were saying, the horse's reaction would show the client if the person is in their truth. A lot of times people will have a story in their head and they've got their own answer. I don't need help or I've got this or you know, I don't deserve to feel this way, um, you know, or I do deserve to feel this way. But they're not in touch with their true feelings. They have a Reader's Digest version of their truth. Horses can't relate to that. And when that happens, the horses aren't interested in them. Kind of like Oprah says, they're just not into you. But if you carefully observe your horse's response and modify the questions, I get the clients to come back into alignment. Once they're back into alignment, then the horse becomes very, very interested. I've had Chief run across to Round Pen to a client when they finally clicked, they hit something that was their truth, they were walking in their truth. My horse went from trying to disable the Round Pen, he was taking the little pins out, to the point I thought it was gonna fall over. And then the person, I asked the right question and the person recognized something that they hadn't recognized before. They don't even have to tell you what it is. They run across and then there's the horse and there it is. It's really beautiful. This is an active process between the coach and client and it helps people identify their goals, get clear on where they wanna go, what they wanna do and why they're struggling. Horses can help us get clarity on our life. They can help uncover limiting beliefs, navigate life transitions, and they provide emotional healing following significant loss, trauma, or abuse. They read your energy and tune in to where you're stuck emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Equine Gestalt Coaching helps the client examine their life and choices with a focus on designing a positive future. One of my favorite things about working with horses is, is that they don't judge us. They see us and respect us for who we are. No wonder we love them so much. Anyway, I'm wishing you a happy, healthy new year full of happy trails and deeper connection with your wonder horses. Hello, it's Sandy Sickles, Upper Midwest Endurance Rider and Green Bean, and I'm talking about overcoming health issues by riding. And um, I think it was in 06, I ended up having Graves' disease and uh, it caused an enlarged heart and all my valves were leaking and I was in full um, heart failure. In fact, when I was admitted into the hospital, I nearly died. It was pretty traumatic. So um, not to go into a long story about that, I ended up having my thyroid removed and getting on proper medication. Um, and my cardiologist, who was also a hockey coach, I think that's key here. Those hockey coaches, they don't want you to sit around. He kept on telling me that uh, he didn't give me pie in the sky stuff that you're going to fully recover. No, it was none of that. It was, you know, you, you, you got to move it or lose it. And you got to, don't be stupid, listen to your body, but you got to just keep working, keep working. And that is what's going to heal you. And he, he did tell me at the time that no, my heart probably wouldn't go back to normal size and my valves were probably not going to function properly and I and I was looking at surgery to have um, my valves replaced at some point um, or more. Anyways, so um, 
while I was recovering from my heart failure, my middle daughter was working Charlie for me. And um, so I convinced her, I'm like, well, I, I'm going to go ride Charlie. I miss, I miss Charlie. Let's go. So she drives me out to the barn and anyone who's had heart failure when like that, you know, it's exhausting that just the act of driving to some place can knock you out. But, um, we get there. I'm pretty sure it was a little bit of adrenaline because I was going to be able to ride my pony and she, she saddles him up for me and true to Charlie's, um, character, he took marvelous care of me. No spooking, no nothing. He just carefully carried me around that arena. And this ritual I did uh, about four, five days a week. The cool thing about all this was I just wasn't going to, I wasn't going to give up. I had three beautiful children, a wonderful family, and I wasn't ready to, I just wasn't ready to give up and die. I was going to do something about this. I had I had the ability, I had the horse. And so I'm happy to say that, you know, through working the riding, I, my heart is actually normal size and my valves are barely leaking. I don't need to have any replacement. In fact, for my age and stuff, um, my heart's pretty normal and it's because I rode and I kept, I kept it up and I'm in retail and I see people all the time, you know, when you, when you have a heart failure like that, your life expectancy is very short. We're talking 14 years now. And whenever I go for my echo, my heart's doing great. I will have to be on medication my entire life so that I don't go back into an uh, irregular rhythm. The, The whole thing, I mean, riding saved my life. That horse saved my life. I owe him everything. So thanks for listening to my story and um, never give up, never give up and happy trails, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, Harlan. How's it going? Good. Good. So this is Harlan's first time on Endurance Horse Podcast. He's my son. He's very tired. Uh, he just had basketball practice. How did your practice go? Did you make a lot of baskets? I made a lot of baskets today. It went really good. I got stepped on a few times, but... That'll happen once in a while, won't it? Yep. Yep. So, do you know what this episode of the podcast is about, Harlan? How people, um, how horses help people and about riders' health. What do you do to stay healthy? Running, eating healthy. You do basketball. That's kind of exercise, right? Yeah. People could do that. Yep. So this summer was kind of a special summer. I don't think you've ever ridden so many miles before. Um, you, me and you and sometimes Dylan, my nephew, we, we got out there a lot and tried to get a lot of miles in. So how was that for you? Um, some days... I know I didn't feel like going riding, but we had put it on the calendar. This was our conditioning, right? Yep. Two days a week and then one long ride on the weekends. Mm-hmm. So some days mom even told you, I was like, oh, I don't feel like going out, right? Yeah. Some days you didn't feel like going out and you were kind of grumpy. And I was like, well, we just got to go. But I have all these pictures that something weird happened when we were riding because Kind of like as soon as we parked the trailer and got out of the truck, you kind of got in a good mood. Yeah, I did. So how was that? Because you used to tell me, thanks, Mom, for taking me riding. Just seeing all the nature, you know, spending time with the horse. Which horse did you ride the most this year? I think Houdini. 
and Bailey. Honey, she's been gone for a little while. She's been gone for about two years, so you miss Bailey, huh? Yeah. Yeah. We had Bailey since forever, and Harlan rode her since she was he was four years old, and he's 12 now. So we still miss Bailey, right? Yeah. Yeah, we'll miss her forever. But I just kind of wanted to put the plug in here at the end that, you know, Harlan was with me. He knows. It was some days we didn't feel like, you know, loading up the trailer and going riding, but it was on the calendar to condition, so we went, right? Yep. And I would tell you probably 40% of the time he was uh, grumpy about it, <laughs> weren't you? Yeah, I was. Until we started brushing the horses, and then you were super, super happy. So was it just the nature that made you happy, or was it riding? Riding in the nature. Riding in the nature. Hey, Harlan, do you know what happened? Do you know what? Hmm. This this episode, we have so many files. I tried to squish them all into this episode. Guess what? Hmm. They don't fit. (laughs) So... A lot of people must be thinking about rider health, huh? Yeah. Yeah, so what we're going to do is we're going to have to break this episode up into the same theme. I guess I should say it'll be episode 32, part 1 of rider health, and then episode 33, part 2 of rider health. Because I don't think they're going to listen to like four hours in a row. So (laughs) what do you think? Sounds good. Yeah, well, thanks for staying up late with me to record the outro. Yep. And um, I hope other people like it. But now, see, I kind of tricked you into I'll always have your 12-year-old voice now. I got you. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Good night. Good night. Happy trails, everybody. Happy trails. We enjoyed having you along for the ride. Endurance Horse Podcast is where you get to share your adventures of riding good horses through beautiful country. Many stresses in life are washed away by a good gallop, a steady trot, or by simply saddling up your favourite horse for an easy ride. Remember, every mile a memory. To share your story on Endurance Horse Podcast, send an email to endurancehorsepodcast at gmail.com.